Thank you, Becca. Um, there was a reason for that song. I've been thinking about it every time we've been going to prepare my talk. Um, I was going to start off with a bit of karaoke. You know, I thought I'll be there for you. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. Um, I'm going to get you thinking now. I had Bruno Mars on, on my mind, Count on Me, like one, two, three, that kind of thing. Stand by me. Any other songs about relationships or friendships? So that's the kind of thing I've been thinking about, as well as looking at the word, of course. So that's good. So we are here um, today to look at the well-being chapter about relationships. Um, just a small topic relationships isn't it um, I don't know whether you've looked at this chapter already in your books um, but it's a lot in it and I, I feel that I'm coming to a topic that's about this big and I've got about that much time to do it okay so I'm not going to cover everything in it but uh, we're going to dive in first of all and have a look at some facts about relationships so psychologists state that when we have, a have good social relationships, it improves not only our mental health, but also has a positive effect on our physical well-being. Equally, relational disharmony can nev negatively impact every aspect of our health and well-being. And it's interesting that Sarah's just shared that about her relationship with her parents through A-levels, how difficult that was. Research shows that the fact of distingu distinguishing the happiest 10% of the population is the strength of their relationships. Scientists and well-being gurus tell us that healthy relationships are good for us. But in fact, they've only discovered what God intended for us all along. We were made to be in relationship with God and with one another. So we're going to look first of all at being in, we were made to be in relationship with God. God is at his core a relational being. And we see this in the Bible when we read about the Trinity. I'm going to pause there for a moment and I want you to think of an egg. This is my egg. Okay. Um, so an egg has three parts to it. It has the shell, it has the egg white inside, and it has the egg yolk. And yet, it is one whole egg. The Trinity is the belief that God is revealed to us in three persons existing in a mutual relationship of love. It is the total revelation of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, yet one God. This is a mystery that our human minds just cannot begin to comprehend. And although the egg illustration helps us in some way, to understanding the concept of the Trinity, any illustration will always fall short when we're describing who God is. So right from the get-go, we know that God is all about relationship. And in Genesis 1, verses 27, verse 27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were created, he did, we were created in God's image <laughs> to be like him. So therefore, we were created as relational beings. God had a perfect relationship in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve until sin crept in and mankind's relationship with God was broken. But God so loved the world, as we read in that famous verse, John 3, verse 16. He sent his only son, Jesus, to the earth to take all of our sin and wrongdoing upon himself on the cross and make a way for us to be washed clean from our sin and come to relationship with our Father God. Amazing. God was so committed to us that he made a way through Jesus for our relationship to be restored. 
we were made to be in relationship with God. It was how it has always, was always meant to be. Our lives can only be satisfied through having a personal relationship with God. No one else can give us the fullness of life, life that we were created to experience other than God. So first and foremost, in order to experience well-being in our lives as a whole, we need to put God first and live by the teachings of his word. I was listening to a podcast recently where the preacher was talking about his relationship with God. He said this, we flourish when we give him preference. We flourish when we give him preference. We want to flourish, don't we? That's what we want. We want to flourish in him. I think it's been really interesting as we've been worshipping what's been coming through about putting God first. Does God come first in your life? Does he come first in my life? Or perhaps that you would say that you have never actually given your life to Jesus Christ. He wants you to know today that he loves you. He died for you and he longs to be in relationship with you. God also intended for us to be in relationship with one another. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures together. Should be on the screen, hopefully, and just read through those. So 1 John 4, verses 10 to 12 says this. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And Genesis 2 verse 18 says, The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So as we've already heard, we were made to be in relationship with God. But God also intended for us to be in relationship with one another. The verse we read in Genesis is talking about Eve being made for Adam. But we know that God's heart is to see us living in relationship with one another in community And that is not just confined to marriage. You know, today, loneliness is a huge issue in our society. It's having an impact on our health and well-being like never before, particularly in the light of the coronavirus pandemic. Loneliness and poor social connections are bad for our health. It's estimated that the damage done to our health through loneliness can be as harmful as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Lonely people are more likely to suffer from dementia, heart disease, and depression. And a study in partnership with the British Red Cross showed that over 9 million people in the UK across the adult age ranges would say that they're always or often lonely. We've been looking together through this well-being uh, series at the story of Elijah from 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah had done some amazing things, like call down fire from heaven on Mount Carmel, and he saw God destroy the prophets of Baal. And yet he came to a very low place of fear and running for his life. And at that critical point in his life, Elijah left his servant, his one and only companion, not his best move. He spiraled further downwards into more fear and anxiety. Why? Because fear is amplified when we walk alone. 
Fear and loneliness are amplified when we are in a place of no connection. Jeff Lucas, a Christian writer, says this. We have a famine of solitude and an epidemic of isolation. I'm going to say that again. We have a famine of solitude and an epidemic of isolation. You know, solitude can be a choice to be alone. And actually, at times, that is really good for us. Just as Jesus took time away from people to be with his father, we need time alone with God. And Tom Scribbins was sharing that with us last week. Isolation, on the other hand, is a sense of aloneness that we can feel even if we are not on our own because of poor social connections in our lives. How many of you here use Facebook? Come on, be honest. I don't use it very much. Okay, not many, actually. That's probably not the the in thing now. I don't know. In 2017, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, said that Facebook would fix isolation and loneliness. Instead, our next-door neighbor has become a stranger, and the people in the houses around us are becoming lonelier and lonelier. Andy Borowitz, an American author and comedian, said this about Facebook. There should be a new Facebook relationship status option called no longer able to interact with actual people. (laughs) You know, when I read this section of the well-being book about loneliness, it really challenged me. We have quite a few elderly people living on our street around us. And um, our neighbor living in the bungalow next to our house uh, lives alone since his wife has gone into a home. He's 89. We talk to him from time to time. But since COVID, our contact with him, I'm ashamed to say, has become less frequent. A few weeks ago, I was sitting in my lounge, probably watching TV about three o'clock in the afternoon. Shocking, I know, sorry. Um, But there was a knock at the door. And a lady had come to the door and she said that her and her husband had brought my neighbor home from an appointment he'd been at. But his key wasn't working in his lock and he couldn't get into his house. So as he is so far, I suggested that he, he should come into our house to keep warm and we would try and sort something out. Eventually, a family member came um, to the house and we had to get a locksmith out. Um, and I had about an hour and a half with my neighbor and we had a really, really lovely conversation. When the locksmith had gone and we got our neighbor back into his home, I came back into my warm lounge and it's as if the Holy Spirit just kind of stopped me in my tracks. And he just pointed out, do you know what, Debs? It was someone had to come to this door and almost force you out of your chair to get round to see your neighbor. Wow, I was massively convicted. And thanked God that he gave me that opportunity. You know, we fill our lives with so much. But sometimes I think it would be a godly thing to stop and take stock and look at how we are filling our lives and where we could be giving time to those around us who are isolated and lonely. I was really encouraged recently talking to Dawn over here. And she was telling me that she has opened up her home previously, specifically with the intention to invite around widows and widowers. So people that had lost loved ones who were now alone. That's fantastic. Well done, Dawn. Let's not shy away from the challenge of reaching the lonely. God wants to love people through us. I'm going to finish this section with a bit of a cheesy quote. 
And because it's cheesy, I think you'll remember it, okay? So here goes. In a world of iPhones and iPads, don't ever underestimate the power of eyeballs. I'm going to say that again. It's very cheesy, isn't it? He said, <coughs> in a world of iPhones and iPads, don't ever underestimate the power of eyeballs. Let's hear the message in that and take action. Do you know it will bless the lonely or isolated person around you, but also it's, it will massively bless God too. So God intended us to be in relationship with one another, and he intended that relationship as well to be through the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's not the building. It's not the four walls. The family of God, and it is God's master plan for our well-being. In Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3, we see Paul, who is in prison, writing to the believers in the church in Ephesus, imploring them to care for and love one another. He writes this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You know, as the body of Christ, maintaining the unity of the Holy Spirit through the bond of peace should take priority in our relationships. God's plan for the church is not only to meet our needs, but also for the well-being of the entire human race as we reach out to those around us in spiritual, mental, and physical need. We can learn so much about relationships by reading the Gospels and studying how Jesus interacted with people around him. What we notice is that Jesus was definitely a people person. He had clear circles of relationships. Jesus spoke to crowds of people. He worked with the 72 in seeing his kingdom advance. And he chose 12 disciples who traveled with him and lived life with him as his ministry unfolded. As well as these groups of people, Jesus also had an inner core of disciples, Peter, James, and John, with whom he was particularly close. True connection with a few core people is really important for our relational well-being. These are relationships where we can be completely real and vulnerable and where we can share the ups and downs of life. You know, personally, I have been really blessed in different seasons of my life to have some core friends around me who have encouraged me and prayed for me and just let me run on when I needed to. I found this quote by someone called Erwin T. Randall, um, quite amusing, about close friends. He said this, or she, I'm not sure. True friends are those who, when you make a fool of yourself, don't believe that this condition is permanent. <laughs> you know, being part of the body of Christ, the church, enables us to develop different levels of relational connection. It may be through social meetups, discipleship, life groups, or serving with one another. Don't come to church and be lonely. And you know what? It does happen. I've been there. We all need to make an effort just to say hi to someone. Don't wait for someone to come to you. Be brave and go for it and speak to someone else. And we talked about this before, the different generations in church, the different ages, mix, mix with one another, speak to one another, find out what's going on in people's lives. 
it's really important. Think about how you could connect further with others in Redeemer. And also ask God to guide you to a core group of people who you can connect with on a deeper level. People who will encourage you and build you up rather than do the opposite. So let's look now at how we can grow in relational health. How do we love well? We know that God's master plan for our relational well-being is for us to be in close relationship with him and with one another. But practically, we need to consider how we can develop in relationships and how we can love well. It's important to add at at this point that sometimes we invest in relationships that are not life-giving and encouraging. I had a friendship once that was a bit like that, and I came away from times with this person actually feeling quite low and discouraged on a regular basis. Now, whilst God may want us to reach out and help those in need and invest in those relationships, we also need to have friendships that have mutual support. There may be occasions in your life when you need to choose to distance yourself from relationships that are proving to be unhelpful. In the well-being book, Dave Smith talks about how we can prioritize and develop energizing and life-giving relationships. He suggests that there are three things to consider. Firstly, investing time. Through time and close proximity, genuine friendship and affection grows strong. If you want to grow in a relationship, genuine love and authenticity is required. I'm sorry to say and ashamed to say that Al and I are not gardeners and often our back garden could do with a lot more time invested in it. And just like a garden, when the lawn is tended and the plants are fed and watered, so our relationships need time and care invested in them in order to stay healthy and strong. Secondly, vulnerability is required. In the Garden of Gethsemane, close to the time of his death, Jesus showed vulnerability with his three close friends. You know, when we are real with each other, we allow the other person to see us as we really are. And that brings a greater depth and closeness in our relationships. Thirdly, we need to set appropriate limits. Time is precious and it is limited. We all know that. And as I mentioned earlier, not all relationships are good for us to invest too much time in. But even when they are great relationships, we still need to set appropriate limits. We might need to remember that we have some work to do, we have studies, we have families, or even a husband or wife to look out for once in a while. (laughs) So, how do we love others well? Earlier we looked at the scripture in 1 John verses 10 to 12, where we read that God, because God loved us first, we too can love others. It is vital in order to love others well that we enjoy time with God in worship, prayer, and reading the word. So then we grow in knowing how deeply loved we are by him. When we are secure in God's love, we will have more to give out to others. Loving others is putting their needs before our own. Dr. John Townsend talks about three key areas we can grow in to love people better. Firstly, we need to be present, giving time and actually sitting and listening to somebody. We need to be positive. Do you know, we all respond well to encouragement and praise, don't we? 
Make sure that you seek to fill the lives of those around you with words of love and affection and praise because the opposite will just bring people down. Be honest and give wise counsel. When we have given time and shown someone that we genuinely care for them and love them, then we need to move to a place of being able to give one another constructive feedback. We can all be defensive and unwilling at times to recognize our own negative points. It's hard. But allowing a loving friend to talk with you and pray with you about them can set you free from things that hold you back. Giving and receiving wise, Holy Spirit-inspired counsel will help us to grow and become more like Jesus. And this will touch others' lives around us as well. Finally, we're going to look at growing in relational health and loving well through forgiveness. And how interesting, again, that Sarah shared with us in her testimony about forgiveness and the difference it made to her life. It says in Ephesians 4, verses 31 to 33, Get rid of bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just in Christ, sorry, just as in Christ God forgave you. And Matthew 18, verses 21 to 22, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You can just imagine Peter quite worked up with this, hoping that Jesus would give him quite a nice answer. But instead, Jesus says this. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And in the footnote, it says 70 times seven. That's quite a few times. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Colossians 3 verse 13. Forgiveness is a big deal to God. The measure of God's forgiveness towards us is utterly incredible. God, being completely holy, sent Jesus, who was without sin, to take all the sin of the world upon himself on the cross so mankind could be forgiven. Now that is leading by example. That is total forgiveness. Forgiveness is such a huge topic And on the one hand, you might be asking someone to forgive someone else that's just offended them, said something a little bit rude to them, all the way to someone forgiving physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. It's a huge range. But the Bible doesn't differentiate between the type of wrong that you you do or do not have to forgive. But it instructs us that with God's help, we need to forgive regardless of what's happened. Bitterness through unforgiveness will manifest itself in many ways. It can be losing your temper, high blood pressure, irritability, sleeplessness, obsession with getting even, depression, isolation, and negative uh, perspective and generally feeling unwell. Now that is quite a list. A group of us at Redeemer have been meeting together um, semi-regularly Um, to look into the whole area of learning and seeking to grow in the area of prophecy. And a couple of weeks ago, Andy and Kirsty, who were in the group, were sharing of a story of a lady who came to prayer, came for prayer, having suffered with neck pain for 30 years. 
The people praying with her laid hands on her and prayed for healing, but nothing seemed to happen. Through further conversation with the lady, she shared how she'd had a difficult family relationship and that she struggled to forgive from the way that she'd been hurt by people. So those praying with her suggested that it would be really good to choose to forgive this family member and release bitterness. When she had finished praying, she was asked how she felt. Those with her expected to hear that she felt more at peace for choosing to let go of the bitterness and forgive. But she just exclaimed, my neck pain has gone. 30 years and it just went. When we show forgiveness and reject bitterness, we experience more of God's healing power in our lives. Healing happened as that lady forgave. God's heart for us is to be set free from bitterness by choosing to forgive. Notice I said choosing. In choosing to forgive, it doesn't necessarily mean that our feelings will match up with that forgiveness right away. But as we let go of bitterness towards a person, the Holy Spirit will have free reign to flood us with his peace and joy and will have the space in our lives to heal our wounds. God wants us to totally forgive from the heart. Total forgiveness is not saying that what a person did was okay. It's not excusing, denying, or justifying what happened or pretending that we're not hurt by someone's actions. But it is choosing, with the help of the Holy Spirit, to let go of wanting to make that person pay for what they've done and giving that person over to God and asking him to bless their lives and do them good. That is huge. It's huge when we think that a person, may, what they've done may have had a devastating effect on our lives. Artie Kendall has written a fantastic book, I don't know whether you've read it, called Total Forgiveness. Um, and it's incredibly challenging and very helpful. I've used it in um, discipleship in the past and seen real fruit come from it. Artie Kendall says this about forgiveness. The most natural tendency in the world is to want to get even when someone has offended you. It is as natural as eating or sleeping, and it is instinctual. Jesus is telling us to do something that is not natural, but supernatural. Totally forgiving people, sometimes those closest to us, for wrongs they do to us. I still struggle in this area myself, but when I truly and totally forgive, I have crossed over into the supernatural and have achieved an accomplishment equal to any miracle. In order for us to keep the channels open for God to work in our lives, we need to get rid of the barrier of unforgiveness and bitterness. It's for our own good. And that's why God instructs us to pray, Jesus instructed us to pray on a daily basis, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Every day, we have the potential to annoy another person, and I'm sure I do it, or to hurt them. And they us. But we need to walk in love, patience, kindness, and compassion with one another. And some of us, including myself, need to ask God to help us not to be so easily offended at times. The last pearl of wisdom from Artie Kendall, he writes this. When we develop a lifestyle of total forgiveness, 
we learn to erase the wrong rather than file it away in our mental computer. I think that's really key. I'm going to say that a bit, bit again. We learn to erase the wrong rather than file it away in our mental computer. In other words, where we can keep going back to it and getting it out again. When we do this all the time as a lifestyle, we not only avoid bitterness, but we also eventually experience total forgiveness as a feeling. And it is a good feeling. If you're struggling with bitterness or unforgiveness, please don't leave today without talking to someone and asking for prayer. It will do you good. I'm going to ask the band if they could come up and join us, please. So that was our whistle-stop tour of relational well-being. Um, lots more that could have been said, and please do read the chapter on it. But I want to spend some time now asking God to come by his Holy Spirit and to pinpoint, pinpoint anything in your life that perhaps you've heard today that you feel God is speaking to you about. Let's not leave this place as we were. Let's let God minister to us and show us things in our lives that we need to change with his help. So maybe it's your relationship with him that you need to prioritize and put him first to flourish. Perhaps it's the area of loving others. You need to invest more in relationships. Or perhaps God is speaking to you about reaching out to the lonely and isolated around you. Or developing relationships in church. Or developing a core group of life-giving friendships. Or perhaps it's letting go of bitterness and choosing to forgive. We're just going to wait for a moment. Maybe I could ask you to close your eyes. Reach out your hands to, to receive what God has, what he wants to do in your life. Just going to spend a few moments and then we're going to come to communion. Yeah, Lord Jesus, would you come by your Holy Spirit? Would you pinpoint right now the areas in our lives that need change, that need your help? know this area of forgiveness is huge talked about it I've talked about the effects that it can have when we harbor <coughs> excuse me we harbor bitterness don't go from this place with bitterness in your heart that it is that God is pinpointing today and highlighting let him deal with it give it to God let go of it come to communion together now and as we remember how much we have been forgiven by God through Jesus taking all our sin and shame on the cross we're going to pause to consider our own hearts and attitudes 
to others in the body of Christ. One Corinthians eleven verses twenty eight to twenty nine says this let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the time to, to deal with things before God as we come to communion. Let's pause and deliberately choose to extend forgiveness today if that's what we need to do just as we've received so much from God. I'm just going to pray in a moment and then I'm going to ask the, the band to play the song that we've got planned. And as we sing that song, let's sing it in worship and thankfulness for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I just invite you during that song to, to take the wafer and to drink the juice and remember what Jesus has done. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for being willing to go to the cross to take all of our sin and shame. You're incredible. We are so, so grateful that you brought us from death to life. We thank you for your broken body on the cross and the blood that you shed. And we come now in awe and worship of you. i 
Precious blood.